Welcome to the Think Orange podcast, where we want to encourage and equip leaders like you who are investing in the faith and the future of the next generation. I'm your host, Shane, and for the next few weeks, we're getting to know some of the voices that you're going to hear at Orange Conference 2023. This year, our workshops are led by some amazing thinkers like Leslie Mack. Leslie is the director of high school strategy here at Orange. She's a ministry leader, writer, incredible artist, innovator, and one of the smartest people I know, that's for sure. And I can't wait for you to hear what she has to say about creating irresistible environments for teenagers in this breakout from YMX in 2020. But before we get to that, I wanted to let you know that Leslie will be leading a workshop at this year's Orange Conference called The Future of Youth Ministry. That one is going to be really important, and I'm sure it's going to fill up fast. So if you haven't already, reserve your spot at theorangeconference.com. We've all experienced this before. Your highly crafted midweek message ends up being the lowest attended week of the year. Yep, the one with the string lights and the stage game that you spent weeks preparing, or your mega ultra epic Zoom, Instagram, TikTok, Twitch, online youth gathering sees the attendance climb during the countdown just to decline rapidly after the actual first minutes of the stream. In a world full of choices on how they spend their time, it's important to create excellent experiences that teens would choose to show up to. Here's what we know. Gen Z shows up to movements that matter. Wired for movement, the teenage brain has a predisposition towards being radicalized, attaching to and accepting community, and fighting passionately for the causes and cultures they care about. Think about it. Young people have been at the helm of every major movement as advocates, allies, activists, audiences, or just attenders. If it moves and makes them feel known, they want in. They show up. And here's what I know about us. As spiritual guides and leaders of teens, we're also hoping for movement in their lives. Whether you're hoping for a mighty move of God in your weekly gatherings or experiences, or just trying to move the needle of spiritual growth even just a tiny bit past apathy. Either way, we want our teens to have an active, moving, and growing faith. Because like everything else in life, we know that if it's not growing, it's dead. So how do we keep them showing up to our experiences, especially in unprecedented times? It's tempting to think that creating excellent experiences for teens is about winning the production competition to have the biggest and shiniest programming, when really, the long game is about having the most meaningful relationships in a teen's life. In fact, Time Magazine releases a list of 30 of the most influential teens, and it's not just a list of singers and rappers. These teens are software engineers, political activists, medical researchers, app developers, artists, and on and on and on. Here, we see culture-shifting teenagers showing up to things that are much harder than church for an hour or two, and many of them credit their success to the relationships around them. So what gives? How might we craft excellent experiences that teens choose to show up to? Well, let's talk about the MOVE model. There's one iconic movement fueled by youthful zeal and passion that has never died out. See, what could happen if we expanded our perspectives about what makes excellent experiences and modeled our teen experiences after the movement of the early church in Acts? 
I know, I know. It sounds kind of boring and basic, but listen. What would happen if we created sustainable experiences that teens love and choose because our experiences are wired the way that teens are wired? What could happen if our experiences were made to move, to move teens closer to hope, deeper in relationship, and further into faith? The early church was a pure miracle, and we don't have time to read its origin story right now, so I'm just going to trust you're going to go and read it on your own. For now, let's recap what happens in the first few chapters of Acts. All right, Jesus ascends to heaven, tells the disciples to go wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes, the disciples speak in tongues, the crowds from everywhere hear this in an uproar, and they gather around and try to make sense of the uneducated Galileans speaking in a multitude of languages. Some say, and this is my favorite part, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Meanwhile, others are like, nah, they're drunk. Peter addresses the crowd. Peter calls out the crowd on what they did to Jesus. Peter reminds the crowd that their young people will prophesy, see visions, and the old men will dream dreams because of what the Spirit has done being poured out on that generation. 3,000 people were added to the faith, and they begin the custom of taking care of each other with all they have, thus creating the foundations of the movement of the modern church. There's something about that first church. Whenever and wherever people gathered, Peter and the disciples created an experience that did four plus key things. And those four things catalyzed a movement. Let's unpack them here today. So think about your student ministry experience. Does it move? Does it M-O-V-E? Does it M mirror the maker? Does it, O, offer students options? Does it make space for them to V, vocalize their vices? And E, does it expect the exits? Let's start at the top with M. Does your experience mirror their maker? In the first few chapters of Acts, a diverse group of people's identities were validated when the disciples received the Holy Spirit and they spoke in the tongues of many nations. The 3,000 new converts were open to the move of God when they heard the wonderful works of God spoken in a language that they understood. You see, here's the thing. Too often, churches intentionally or unintentionally harp on the idea that we are far from being like God. There's truth in that because, yes, God is holy and we are human. But the other truth is that we are made in His image. And therefore, our very existence reflects His nature. Another way of saying that is that churches tend to start in Genesis 3 with the fall, but actually the story begins in Genesis 1, where we are made in His image. We begin to recognize, as in see God's reflection and affirm God at work in students, when we remind ourselves that teenagers aren't just half humans or junior humans who need to be fixed, but that they are whole humans who just need to awaken to God in themselves. Here are a few things to ask ourselves. Does your experience paint a picture of a God who speaks their language? Does your experience remind teens that they mirror their maker by affirming the godlike attributes of what it means to be a teenager, as in their passion for life, their complexity, their individuality, their belief in what is possible, and their God-sized dreams about their futures? Does your experience mirror the maker in the language it uses to tell of the wonderful works of God? Like, are you verbally celebrating what God is doing in your church and in your community and in their schools as much as you're correcting and teaching? 
Does your experience validate the evolution of a teen's journey on becoming? And okay, so this gets really practical. On a really, really practical level, think about all of the pictures, the images, the videos, and things in your ministry that feature students. You should maybe occasionally review these photos and videos featuring students because they are growing up. And, you know, students change a lot in one year and can be easily embarrassed of pictures of more than a few months old. Do you celebrate God-like attributes of becoming loving, patient, kind, generous, selfless? Or do you just assume that's how teenagers are supposed to act at church? Why should we celebrate it? Does your experience mirror the maker in the language it uses to tell the wonderful works of God? Like, are you verbally celebrating what God is doing in your church and in your community and in their schools as much as you are correcting and teaching? Do you celebrate the God-like attributes of becoming loving, patient, kind, generous, selfless? Or do you assume that that's how teenagers are supposed to act at church? Why celebrate it? And next, does your experience validate the evolution of a teen's journey of becoming? You see, on a really, really practical level, teenagers are growing up right before your eyes. And maybe we should occasionally review the photos and videos featuring students in our promos, print pieces, slideshows, on the walls. Like, are those images growing up with your students? You know, our students change a lot in one year and can be easily embarrassed of how pictures of more than just a few months old remind them of a past self that they were. That's our first letter, M. Does your experience remind teens that they mirror their maker? All right, let's move on to O. Does your experience offer teens options? Here's a question. Where do we need to share control in order to be co-collaborators with our teenagers? Another way to ask it is, are we saying we want students to own their faith and yet we steal every ownership opportunity by over-planning without inviting their voices in? You see, our teenagers live in a world where they can customize everything. They can change their names on social media platforms at the drop of a hat. They can be pro NBA players with all the tattoos, shoes, and the house that they want, and then switch games and become a human fall flat character with unlimited skin options. See, even brands get it. The latest iPhone update lets you decide on the cover of what each app looks like. And if you don't see what you're looking for, that's fine. Nike lets you design your own shoe. And this year, due to COVID-19, I personally know many teenagers who had choices around when, where, and how they were going to attend school and with whom they attended. You get it. They get to affect every outcome of everything they're a part of. You see, student culture moves so fast that it is near impossible to feel native to that culture or to create experiences that feel native to that culture unless you have some cultural liaisons. In every other area of their lives, our teens have options until they walk into our buildings. I mean, think about it. Stand, sing, sit, small group, have a snack, and we will see you next week. I think it's time that we start giving them opportunities to customize the experience. Like, how can we say we want our students to own their faith and not just mimic the faith of people on stages, and yet still, we kind of snatch every ownership opportunity right out of their hands. The new Jesus followers who formed the church in Acts immediately started taking care of each other. They made it customary to meet the customized needs of every person. 
Now, I'm not saying that your experience should become a people-pleasing, teen-pandering contest. All I'm saying is, in the very first church, they owned their new faith by participating in the faith journey of others. Like somehow, sacrificially participating in what the church would mean for their community resulted in the kind of unity that it takes to lay the foundation for an indestructible movement. Offering options and opening opportunity for ownership will move your students closer to hope, deeper in relationships, and further into faith. So, does your experience offer options to take ownership in the experience? Do you have traditions or customs that are created by your students? Does your calendar year operate at a pace that your students get to give input on? On a practical level, and this may be scary, do you consider their input on how they'd want to see your budget spent? Do they have the choice between a worship night or a dunk contest night? Are you asking for their feedback and then implementing their ideas wherever applicable? Does your experience offer teens options? All right, our next one. Does your experience let your students vocalize their vices? Story time. I was sitting in on a small group after the midweek message, and a question was asked to a barely talkative group of high school girls. You know how it goes. The stale surface answers to, how would you handle XYZ conflict, was reluctantly making its way around the circle, like a tiny ember making its way down a soggy fuse. And right when the fuse was supposed to fizzle out, full-on explosion. The steady strings of I don't knows and the half-hearted I'll pray about it suddenly exploded into a full-on blaze as one student spoke about addicting and abusive relationships, gang activities, death of close family members. Like she was only halfway through explaining the hardships and sins and vices crashing around in her world. And then we reached there. There was a pause, awkward silence. The adults in the circle were supposed to say something now. You see, how we responded would be pivotal in how the other girls saw their faith. You know, how we respond in that moment becomes how the church responded forever in their minds. Could we console without condemning and correcting? Admit it, we feel guilty as leaders if we don't call out sin the moment we sense it. But don't miss the victory. She vocalized her vices. It was messy, but she felt safe enough to say such things in that circle. Are your small group leaders trained to not panic at shocking, confusing, heavy, awkward, and complicated news? It's important to create experiences where our students feel safe and comfortable enough to vocalize their vices. All right, that brings us to the last one. Does your experience expect the exits? You see, regardless of how safe, predictable, engaging, and addicting your in-the-room experience is, there is a world out there, and honestly, right in their pockets and their phones. Picture the exits in your building, and picture the leave call Zoom button. Picture them as a portal into a world where everything you just said and did from stage will be questioned, disassembled, compared to shinier and louder, more provocative ideas, or honestly, you know, it's just forgotten in the mix. Your message will be instantly put to the test. If we're not careful, we can tend towards building our teen ministries on an insulated experience that happens in a room where we're in control and yet doesn't hold up in a world that laughs in the face of control. As believers, we're guilty of bragging about being 
in the world, but not of the world, forgetting that that sentiment isn't an exemption from engaging with the world. It's actually an invitation to politely intrude on culture, to lead culture with a better way. It means being equipped to skillfully, like as cunning as a serpent type skillfully, handle the world. Here are a few exits you should consider. Students exit your building weekly. Every time they enter your building, they exit back to a world out there. Students also exit your ministry seasonally or after crisis. You know, they come to crossroads in life, whether that's a new schedule, weekends with divorced parents, or they suddenly have practice on the night of their youth experience. Students also exit your ministry eventually. Like the reality is that eventually they age out, whether that's graduation, college, or career. See, culture is out there and in their pockets at all times. Does your message stand up to the stories that culture is telling every time a student leaves your building? Does your message lead a cultural revolution that Jesus himself would be proud of? Or does it only withstand in the safety of the four walls of your gathering? So to recap, do your experiences invite students to move? Do your experiences remind students that they do mirror their maker? Do your experiences remind students that they can take ownership in their faith by offering them options? Do your experiences create space for your students to vocalize and ventilate their vices? And lastly, do your experiences expect the exits? Okay, I know that was a lot, but here are three questions that can help us just get started. Consider this, when it comes to the teaching, the relationships, and the environments that you're crafting for high schoolers, first, is your environment one of fun and forgiveness? Because we know that that creates safety. Second, is your environment flexible? You know, lately, one of the biggest flexes we've all had to participate in is how to do online ministry well. How do we keep it predictably unpredictable? And lastly, is your environment future-minded? Does it prepare your students for the imminent world out there? Creating an experience that teens love matters because ultimately it's the teenager who will decide whether they come to your experience or not. Don't be fooled. Teens want more than flashing lights and movie star worship leaders. They want what's real. Like, think about it. These are the same teens who salivate at Coachella-sized gatherings and then go home to plan the chillest Friendsgiving kickback with only five of their friends. Polished productions can't compete with real relationships. It's simple news, but it's good news. Because no matter what your budget, you can cultivate an environment that a teen chooses. Our gatherings and experiences should move our teens toward healthy relationships, should move our teens toward hope, and should set our small groups up to win. What could happen if our experiences were made to move? We want to thank you for joining us on this episode of the Think Orange podcast. If you liked this episode, we'd love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share the episode. And if you want to be part of more conversations like this one, get your tickets to the Orange Conference 23 at theorangeconference.com. And we'll see you next time on the Think Orange podcast.